Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. We are driving cars with parts made all over the world. Our phones, our appliances, our banking, our planes are either made, touched, and or connected to every part of the world. Globalization is not going away. In fact, it's expanding now to include even our health care. Where once the rich might engage in medical tourism for cosmetic or exotic procedures, today medical tourism is an international business taking place all over the globe and with patients coming from all over. Like the free flow of money and ideas, now the free flow of treatment could become the future of healthcare. Sasha Eisenberg reports from the front lines of medical tourism in his new book, Outpatients. Sasha Eisenberg is the acclaimed author of the previous book, The Victory Lab, The Secret Science of Winning Campaigns, as well as The Sushi Economy. He's the Washington correspondent for Monocle and a contributor to Bloomberg Politics. And it is my pleasure to welcome Sasha Eisenberg back to this program to talk about Outpatients, the astonishing new world of medical tourism. Sasha, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. I want to talk about the earliest days of medical tourism, and and it really was something that was reserved for the wealthy. It was used. There was a lot of cosmetic surgery that went on under the the guise of medical tourism. Talk a little bit about that early aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, we can think back to the 1970s when the Shah of Iran would fly to Europe to get medical care, or people would heads of state or royalty would come to the Mayo Clinic or Cleveland Clinic because there were procedures that they couldn't get in their home countries. Um, And it was incredibly rarefied and it was mostly folks from the developing or undeveloped worlds um, uh, without sort of cutting edge specialists coming to uh, Central Europe or or the United States where you had um, uh, a fair number of specialists in oncology or cardiology or surgery. Um, What's happened is what's happened is you described with, you know, cars and other goods and services, which is uh, transit costs have gone down the the barriers to moving around have have decreased and now um it has become uh often for at least for scheduled procedures it's become possible for uh folks almost anywhere on earth who have the means to travel to look around to other healthcare markets and say um Either I can find something that I can get here at a lower cost elsewhere, or especially if I'm in a system like like the UK or Canada where there's a waiting list, I can uh, I can go somewhere where I don't have to uh, wait for an appointment, or maybe there are procedures that, for uh, legal reasons, are not available where I live. And Often there's not a whole lot more than than a plane ticket that stands between a, a patient and and a, you know a potential treatment somewhere. How much of it is market driven? How much of it is about cost when you look at the totality of this? Well, it, it's very hard to. The statistics are horrible because um, basically there are no entities that keep track of uh, which patients uh, are are domestic or foreign, oddly enough. But, you know, in different directions, there are, we, we see sort of different motives on the parts of, of patients. So when uh, Americans are traveling abroad, it's almost always for cost. Uh, you know, this, our, our healthcare system has, has made a few trade-offs in policy. We've, we've accepted that the, the, the almost constant availability of, of, 
of rarefied specialists in whatever field we want. In exchange for it, as we often know, we, we pay a lot for it. Um, so, yeah, if Americans are going abroad, they're, they're looking for a discount. If foreigners are coming here, um, they're usually looking for some of those specialists who are available with, with, without delay. When um, people from single-payer countries are going abroad, they often, they'd be getting free health care at home, but often would have to wait for it. Um, if, if a Brit travels to Poland for knee surgery, uh, he or she will pay more than they would. They would probably not pay anything in the UK for that surgery, but they might have to wait nine months for it. They could get their surgery done in Warsaw next week. Um, and so, you know, the, the motives vary, and, it, and it's sort of, you know, each country has, has sort of chosen a, a healthcare system that, that creates its own distinct inefficiencies or dysfunctions, and medical tourists are sort of, you know, trying to use those to, to their benefit and, and, and find some advantage. The corollary of that is the degree to which each country is also becoming kind of a specialist in certain areas. I mean, you talk about Hungary with respect to dentists and, and really focus in on that, but there are other countries also that are becoming specialist in certain areas. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the Hungarian case, it's not as though the, the, the specialty is particularly rarefied, you know. Having a, a generation of, of transplant surgeons trained to staff your hospitals in a country requires um, medical education programs that are they're incredibly sophisticated. What, what Hungary and Hungary ended up with a. a, a decent population of well-trained dentists, largely because the communist system, while it often left hospitals under-provisioned with, with equipment and technology, um, guaranteed health insurance to all of its uh, citizens and did a very good job of, of diverse, diversifying uh, the, the labor market for for basic medical and dental care. And so Hungary became a country where there were lots of qualified, well-educated dentists around the country. And what happened there, it was totally organic, which is starting in the late 80s when they opened the borders to, to Austria. Um, people living in the Vienna area realized that if they drove 45 minutes or took a train for an hour just over the border, they could find a dentist or also some optometrists ophthalmologists who were a lot cheaper than they were in Austria. And so you ended up having a cross-border business, uh, you know, in the same way that, that people cross state lines for, for alcohol to avoid paying taxes on it or something. Um, the, you know, what has happened is that it's become a sort of entrepreneurial specialty among uh, dentists now in Budapest more than in the border towns because they are marketing themselves to bring uh, to bring patients from around Europe who are traveling by by plane and are are packaging um, trips with with hotel and museum passes and airport transfers and all of that, you know, where the, the only difference from a normal vacation is that the, the central attraction is, is getting your bridge work done. Um, and, and so that's become really an entrepreneurial specialty more than it's a medical specialty. In some countries, you know, Israel, I write about, um, has become, you know, the, the island of Cyprus has not a single uh, uh, hospital that can handle bone marrow transplants. So any any Cypriot um, who 
need to get a bone marrow transplant that uh, goes to Israel uh, on as as part of a you know the government basically buys in bulk the Cypriot government reimburses the Israelis in bulk for all of their citizens to to get bone marrow transplants and so when you have smaller countries um, there's a sort of natural inclination to to, to specialize um, to, to you know not not every country is able to have the kind of you know deep sophisticated medical infrastructure across specialties that that the United States or France Canada can have and so so it starts to make sense for, for, for countries to have some sort of comparative advantage when it comes to uh, fairly arcane medical specialties even in Canada though you talk about Canadians that are going to Costa Rica for medical services yeah and, and, and that's a case of, of where the National Health Service you know which Canadians say gives them very good care and obviously at a, at, at a very low price um, has created its own dysfunctions, which is for you know non-urgent care. It can be incredibly slow to get to get an appointment, which is why you have some Canadians who are willing to pay out of pocket uh, and come to the U.S. for for certain procedures. Um, Costa Rica is is a you know one of the places in Latin America with a uh, relatively modern medical system, um, well-educated doctors, uh, you know, a, a, a decent centralized government. So I think people are pretty, are, are, are sort of a little more confident in, on, from a sort of safety and hygiene and accountability perspective. And so you have, you know, when, when Canadians are going to Costa Rica for medical care, it's because they uh, don't want to wait for an appointment. When Americans are going to Costa Rica, it's because they're paying a fraction of the price. And so you could have two different medical tour two medical tours from different countries in in beds alongside one another in a clinic in in San Jose Costa Rica and they're there for two entirely different reasons as you look at it overall is it working as a marketplace is health as an international product working relative to the market yes i think so i mean you know it's worth it, it, it's still an inefficient marketplace in that there's absolutely no transparency. So, um, which is one reason why it remains highly individualized. Almost everywhere. I mean, I talked about that, that some Hungarian dentists banding together to, to market their services, but by and large, there are no central uh, brokers or buyers or sellers of, of these types of services. So it's often individual patients taking their own initiative to research uh, hospitals or. or or clinic somewhere else, making their own travel arrangements, you know, dealing with all the contingencies that come along with that, which is one reason why, even though it, it is widespread, it, it's unlikely to scale up dramatically because there, nobody has figured out in any large way how to become a sort of centralized business. We see some insurance companies, um, there's some regional insurers in the United States who've begun experimenting with sending uh, their, their, their patients to certain foreign hospitals for certain types of procedures, but um, I, I don't think that that's something that we're going to see happen at, at any real scale soon. Um, you know, it is, you know, and the, and the other thing that, that we have to remember is that one reason why national healthcare systems are so aggressively regulated and, and sort of twist costs in, in such weird ways is that they come with all these safeguards and protections for patients, for doctors, for insurers um, that are designed to, you know, diversify risk or serve public policy objectives. And part of that is that if, if you're an American who, who goes to, to Costa Rica, um, 
and something goes wrong, you are uh, almost entirely without the protections that come along with something going wrong at, at, at your local hospital or elsewhere in your home country. You know, you, you, uh, the legal recourse, the the medical recourse, the the guarantee of a of a government um, uh, that that will necessarily you know oversee the procedure. It's not even clear where you would go to file a malpractice lawsuit if you're an American suing a Costa Rican for something that happened. Um, there's the practical matter of you know getting follow up care or a the second look at something, it becomes really difficult if you have to fly halfway around the world to do it. And so people are taking on, you know, a lot of personal risk um, in doing this, and there's no sort of transnational safety net yet to to take care of that or, or, or to mitigate it or, or, or any quality control for that matter. You touched on, on something a few moments ago, which I wanted to ask you more about, which is the insurance aspect and the degree to which insurance companies might be looking at this, domestic insurance companies, as a way to address the cost yeah, I, I mean, I think that insurers uh, are very interested in this because for all the same reasons that, you know, an individual looks at a procedure in, in Thailand that would cost a third of what it does in the U.S., um, uh, insurers see that as a place for, for cost savings. You know, and the, the general rule of thumb that, that people in the medical tourism industry use is that if the total cost of uh, – of traveling for care, so you know, including the the treatment, uh, the transportation, uh, hotel, all of that stuff involved is under half the price of what it would cost at home. That that you're in a, a sweet spot for for potential travelers to look at your product. That if it's you know if it starts to become more than that, the customers often will take the the sort of familiarity and convenience of of treatment at home in exchange for for the savings abroad. You know, and insurance insurers look at that same math. The thing is that they have you know institutional controls. Um, if you know, if, if if an American insurer is, is thinking about sending people to a Thai hospital, obviously there's a a lot of due diligence that they want to do to to make sure that that they're sort of happy with the facility and 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 all the contingencies that come along with that. Um, and so it's just a lot more slow moving. To I mean, we we see how how unnimble uh, uh, insurers are even within our own country and how how often unwilling they are to deal with circumstances that they haven't seen before. And so um, it, it just becomes a, a very difficult challenge to, to get them to, even if they understand that it's in their broad economic interest, to, to actually figure out how to make this, make this work for them. Where, where it has works on the part of insurers is national insurers. You know, basically every one of the Gulf countries, which have had the the remarkable fortune to be uh, very wealthy, uh, have relatively small populations, but also un- until recently have very few advanced hospitals there, um, have paid the entirety of the cost for their citizens to travel overseas for procedures that they can't get at home. So if you were a Kuwaiti who needed any type of surgery for many years, your government would fly you wherever it took to, to get it done. Um, uh, any Emirati who who uh, needs a transplant is, has been flown to, to South Korea recently, and the government's paying men not only for the for the procedure and the medical care, but for you know the airfare as well. Um, you know when it is happening at that level of scale. 
well, and you can have a single buyer and a single uh, provider of services. Um, at, at the national level, it works well. We have such a fragmented system here um, uh, that it becomes harder for you know individual individual insurers to deal with individual providers at various places during the world and sort of synthesize that. Has there emerged any kind of a central word of mouth clearinghouse, something on the order of, you know, Yelp for medical tourism, essentially? There, there are, you know, I know of one website that's trying to make itself that, um, called Medigo, but it's a, a German-based uh, website, um, you know, and, and there's... There are some national efforts to to consolidate things nationally within Europe. There there have been some rules put forth by the European Union to facilitate medical tourism uh, within the continent, um, and some of them are, are regulatory things that require that that. Uh, uh, any European be able to get care in another European country at the same price, um, reimbursed at the same rate that they would be reimbursed at home and charged the same rate that any local would be charged there. And part of the, the burden there is that uh, European countries are supposed to create a central point of information um, and sort of clearinghouse for, for uh other Europeans who want to travel there for care, but um, I, I, there's nothing that's sort of you know the travelocity or kayak yet for for this and and uh, you know part part of the difficulty in this is that you know as we know in our own lives here uh, medical pricing is incredibly opaque and so you know it's it's one of the things that makes it. The, the types of the types of procedures that make the most sense for medical tourism are things that are scheduled in advance that are non-urgent, you know, which is why big dental procedures or orthopedic care um, uh, make make a lot of sense, and that you you know you can make plans and you can get your surgery in six weeks. Obviously, something that's uh, that's emergency surgery doesn't lend itself as well to, to looking around and making plans. But also, but medical procedures are often, often priced oddly, and so it's it's not always easy to know what your knee surgery is going to cost, given how many variables are involved, which just makes it um, you know difficult to sort of centralize all the information that would be necessary to help people make the right choice. What are we seeing in terms of the quality of doctors? I mean, obviously, it probably varies a lot but what what is your sense of it yeah i mean varies a lot and just to some degree you know some common sense and, and basic research ought to prevail here um uh you know there are there are there are places where where medical care is inexpensive because uh of the way that doctors are compensated um, and they might be, you know, I, I write in the book about the head of the cardiology department at Semmelweis University in Budapest, who, um, he's at a public university, he's a major figure uh, in in Hungarian medicine, he's the, the chief medical, chief doctor for the Hungarian Olympic uh, Federation, and he gets paid, I forgot the numbers, like $3,000 a month, so one, which is just an amazing illustration of how... Uh, poorly remunerated Hungarian doctors are, you know, a a, uh, a minuscule fraction of what the equivalent would get in, in, you know, in New York or Washington or Chicago. Um, and that's one reason why medical care in Hungary is, is so cheap, is that, that uh, doctors in public hospitals um, and teaching hospitals are, are, are 
poorly paid there compared to what they would be elsewhere. In some places, doctors are poorly paid because they're not particularly well trained. Um, and so it, it is hard. And this is one of the challenges, you know, this is one of the challenges for a foreigner trying to make sense of another country's healthcare economy is that there's not a clear connection between price and quality. Um, and so it, it is very difficult to, you know, I think we have a pretty good idea of what what, you know, I'm in a hotel room now. I think we have a pretty good idea of what what hotel rooms cost and what the price ladder is. And it, you know, that $50 here gets you one type of hotel room and $125 here gets you another type of hotel room and $200 gets you another type of hotel room. Um, it's not always clear what's going into that, that knee surgery and what, you know, what the difference is between a $5,000 knee surgery and a $10,000 knee surgery and what the factors are in another country that are setting those prices. Um, and so, you know, that it, it's quality can vary widely, but there's not always a, a useful sort of signal that comes along with price um, to, to determine, uh, you know, and, 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 and the answer isn't what we usually would tell somebody who's a tourist somewhere else, which is go where the locals go, because in certain countries, the locals are leaving to go somewhere else for, for their own reasons. Will it have the impact, do you think, over time of creating, both domestically and internationally, creating greater transparency in pricing? In, we do see this in, in Europe, which is the, the one place where there's been an effort across governments to create uh, a sort of legal structure for for medical tourism and and because of those rules which I described which which require that there not be discrimination based on which country a, a European patient is from, and that people can get reimbursed by their home insurers for procedures anywhere in Europe at the rate that they would be charged at home has required that uh, uh, medical providers across Europe present itemized invoices for every procedure that they do which is uh, in some places a big disruption either because there isn't a culture of, of you know you just get one bill at the end of your hospital visit that doesn't break down you know what was for the anesthesia and what was for the surgery and what was for this right. um, but also because as in Hungary there is a long tradition of, of basically bribes you know what they call payments in envelopes um, where people pay public doctors at public hospitals for preferential care um, through under the table payments that don't get reported. And so, you know, there we do see some effort to bring transparency at least to the pricing side. Uh, I think as as hospitals, if they try to aggressively market themselves in the marketplace, they do have to start listing, they do list prices online. Often it's for comparative purposes, um, but, you know, unless there is systematic pricing in the sphere, um, there's no way to imagine it going to scale. So I think it could be a driver of some sort of transparency, but, but ultimately it'll take governments becoming involved, and I don't see a lot of evidence other than in the European Union that there, there are a lot of national governments that want to promote um, inbound medical tourism as an economic development enterprise, and there are governments like the Gulf states I mentioned that that see it as a requ- you know requirement of their welfare state to help their citizens go abroad. But but there are not a lot of governments that are interested in facilitating medical tourism for its own sake. And until they do, um, I can't imagine we're going to get a whole lot of of 
transparency. And finally, what's been the reaction to it among the medical establishment in the U.S.? I think in the U.S. there is what, what they see going outbound is Americans looking for savings. And I think a lot of American doctors are incredibly judgmental about that. You know, the people are trying to save a few dollars and and are going to Central America to get something done. Um, and I think that they, you know, see that as a trading trading quality for price um, in ways on which they don't look favorably. That said, I you know, a lot of medical professionals are sort of fully aware of of the dysfunctions in the American medical system and, and the things that force people to to do that. Um, and especially for for the uninsured or underinsured who are paying out of pocket. Uh, in either place, um, that they'd be incredibly uh, cautious about about what they spend, and so you know, a lot of the same American doctors, though, who might be judgmental about an American choosing to go to Mexico for for surgery, are at hospitals that have probably benefited over the years by having foreign nationals come and help effectively cross subsidize their 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 work on American patients. You know, it becomes once you start pulling at the string of medical tourism in one place you start to see that the, that the money has been supporting a lot of different things over the years. Sasha Eisenberg, his book just out from Columbia Global Reports is Outpatients, the Astonishing New World of Medical Tourism. Sasha, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. Thank you.